0: Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Today I want to talk about judgment, specifically our hang-ups around being judged or even when we're just thinking that somebody's judging us. This is a really important thing, I think, for so many of us, and it's something that can um, that can be a big obstacle and get in the way of of the good stuff. In my experience, feeling judged is something that many of us keep private because I think there can certainly be shame attached to it. And um, maybe sometimes we keep it private because we are secretly judging ourselves. But I want to tape some things up on the wall for us to think about and see if we can create a sense of peace and relief and grace around what others might be thinking about us. The awareness around being judged is worse collectively, I think, than it's ever been because we are more documented than we've ever been. We have more photos, more videos. We see more day-to-day postings of people than we ever have in history without even having an interaction with them. Um, we feel connected to people just because we see what they're up to in social media when we're not really connected to them. And so that gives us like a a window into their world and allows us to just make judgments and allows other people to do that about us when we have a presence on social media. And in fact, you can, like on a given morning, wake up, open your device, and not speak or interact with anybody else, but still manage to judge and feel judged before you even get out of your pajamas. And I would say that we probably feel more judged within the virtual spaces than anywhere else in our lives. Sometimes we are being judged, and sometimes we, we aren't, but we think we are. <laughs> and the remedies, though, I think for both of these are sort of the same. I think it's good to remember that most people are not thinking about you for more than a a few fleeting moments. And also that's hard because most people are not thinking about you. (laughs) They're too wrapped up in their own worlds to spend much time on yours. But I think when you're thinking about people judging you, that can be comforting if you're worried about that. A few years ago, I did... um, I redid my website to accommodate my writing and recipes and some other things besides yoga. And I had new photos and kind of a whole new look. And once I'd pulled it together with some help, I sent it to a friend and I asked her for feedback. And she wasn't a close friend, but she was kind of a businessy, internet savvy um, student who was a friend sort of. And so she'd experienced my teaching and knew kind of what I was up to. And a few days later, she wrote me back, um, a very candid email and she didn't say anything positive about the website. And she only offered her feedback in sort of, um, What felt like an abrupt couple of sentences. And it was something like, it's not clear what you're selling. It's not easy to find what exactly the product is and and what you want people to buy. And that should be the most important thing. That was kind of all she said. And at first, I just kind of wanted to cry. um, Because I'd worked so hard on it. And it just, you know, it had my my raw writing and my vulnerability inside of it. And so she didn't even comment on any of that. And I wanted to say, did you, did you notice the beautiful photos? What did you think of my new poetry? Did you see the recipe page? You know, did you, did you see me in it? And, but then I paused and I reread what she said and kind of took it in. And I thought, you know, I, I don't want what I'm selling to be the main thing. I don't want the main thing about my website to focus people on buying something. Yes, that's part of it because I was advertising some courses and and the podcast. But I want my website to be a resource for food and for writing and for yoga and mindfulness and poetry and art and I want to have a resource list for people to access and find other meaningful artists. That's what I want to be first. And so my first reaction to what she said was to feel really unfairly judged, like that she didn't see all of me. But then that led me to clarifying what I'm really bringing to the table and what my truth is, which really didn't have anything to do with what she was critiquing. And so this work of not getting so bothered about what other people think, I think first and foremost, entails owning our own truth and getting grounded in what exactly we are doing. So asking ourselves, what is our goal? So if my goal was to primarily drive sales on my website, then, then yes, I can be judged on that, and it's safe to say that that is not the strength of my brand. But to instead to be a place where others can find rich ideas and thoughtful conversations and artists of all kinds, that's where I shine. So we have to figure out who we are, what we're doing, and why it matters. Before we let the bees in our bonnets get the best of us. Before some contest happens that we don't even want to be entered into. Even when other people are signing us up for it. You know, we don't have to take part emotionally and tally up our losses in a contest that we didn't enter. Because in those cases, it's not even a loss. Because when I really looked at what she was critiquing... It wasn't even a loss for me. The gift my student gave me that day with her feedback was to clarify who I was not, what I was not doing, and then any insecurity I felt with her feedback sort of melted away, and I became more clear about my mission statement. Have you ever talked to somebody about this, about feeling judged or sad that somebody doesn't like you or somebody doesn't want you? or want something that you have to offer, and you're talking to them, and then they say, <laughs> just let it go. Just let that shit go. You do not need them to bother you, and you're better off without them, and don't don't let them take your power away, and you just need to move on. You know, it's really easy for people kind of sitting outside the, the feelings around this to say those things, and, and all of that is true we don't need to just give our power away but I want to recognize that it's hard it's really hard because we all care about what other people think everybody to a certain extent cares about what other people think about them even if they have a pretty audacious exterior we all care about it and so just to say let that go without any kind of strategy is kind of unrealistic. So I want to give you some strategy for that. Focus on what your truth is and spend your time and emotional resources refining your mission statement rather than looking around and taking everybody else's temperature. So the more that you focus on your life, your projects, your truth, and your goodness the less emotional energy you will have to spend wondering and worse, assuming what everyone else is thinking about your life. Because a lot of times our assumptions are wrong. Um, I can trace my battle with lifelong panic attacks back to one specific day in seventh grade English. When I was in seventh grade, Mrs. Brewer's class, and I loved her so much, I had to give an oral book report. And to give you some context into that year for me, I was already being teased and bullied by some mean girls in my class. And I I was a pretty sensitive kid and kind of wore my heart outside my body. And I was so before this happened, before this day happened, I was already hiding in the bathroom with my feet up on the toilet seat so as not to be detected, (laughs) so I could skip lunch in that social aspect of not having any friends to sit with. Lunch and gym were a special kind of hell for me during those school years. But this one day in English, which was the subject I loved most, I went to the front of the room to give my report. And I don't remember what book the report was on or, or what I had to say about it. But as I was talking... I saw the group of girls that went out of their way to make me feel bad about myself. I saw them sort of clumped in the back of the room, begin to snicker and point at me and look at each other and whisper. And I don't know what they were choosing to make fun of that day. Maybe it was my clothes or my hair. or Maybe it was the words that I was saying. I'm not sure. But what I do remember is what happened to my body My heart started pounding, and I started to feel like I was in a hole deep inside the ground, and I couldn't hear anything except my heart pounding in my chest and my ears, and I couldn't focus my eyes, and my voice started to audibly shake, and my face got very hot, and to my horror, to my absolute horror, I remember that hot tears sprung up in my eyes and started to roll down my cheeks, and I couldn't stop the, the tears. And it got worse. I started to choke on my words and choke on the tears and the shame, and it was just horrific. And the girls' snickers got louder, and now they were audible laughs. And the teacher, who I loved, Mrs. Brewer, was, was just helpless, I think, to help me. And she told the girls to hush, and she told me to breathe and go on and reassured me that she was listening and that I was okay. But I was dying. I, I felt like I was actually dying. And I also felt like dying would be much better than where I was. Um, time slowed down. If you've ever had a panic attack, you know this feeling. It's like time slowed way down, and at the same time, it sped way up. And I don't remember how I returned to my seat. I was definitely outside of my body. I don't remember anything else. But I do know that when I got home that afternoon, I sat, sat both my parents down in the kitchen in our house on St. Charles Avenue, and I described to them what had happened to me. And my dad just looked stricken and was nodding and looking at me and I knew that he knew. He knew because it had happened to him, those panic attacks, and he knew what I was talking about. I didn't know they were called panic attacks at that time. He told me that um, and affirmed me that it was real. And my mom was very quiet and supportive, but I knew that she didn't know what they felt like. And it sort of went along from there. My parents came together and made just a little basket of support and they um, they believed me which was kind of everything and today 34 years after that day in miss miss Brewer's class I still have panic attacks when I speak in front of people sometimes and um, no matter how many years I've been teaching and no matter how... Um, how good I am at telling stories I have to work myself up to a lather generally of nervousness and sometimes completely shut down and you know feel that despair before I'm able to break through that old pattern of feeling judged and here's the thing most of the time now my audience is a smiling group of students who already are on my side and who already believe in me and subscribe to my stories and have profound respect for me. Very rarely, if ever, are people snickering at me and pointing in the back and discussing my hair, my outdated jeans, and they're not, at least visibly or audibly, talking about that I'm unqualified or unfit to talk or share my story. But it doesn't matter. I still have that trauma stored and I'm still working that out all of these many years later. And I've learned um, that the process is just part of me. And I think I found the upside. The upside is that I care deeply about what I'm talking about and about preparing well. I care about what I want to say And I am passionate enough about it to walk through that fire every single time. And one thing that really helps in my work with this over the years is to remember to turn my focus back into the offering. To think more about the usefulness of what I want to say and how it might help others, how it can be an offering to others. To think more about that than about how my material will be judged or how I'm sounding in the moment. So here's the thing. We're being judged all the time. People are constantly making little flip judgments about us. And you're doing that about other people without having all the information all the time. But too much dwelling on that is is too self-involved. It's too self-centered. The st- the second strategy I have for you, besides getting clear about your truth, is to focus on what you're offering back and not how you appear doing it. Because that is what's going to turn your life into this gorgeous legacy that other people will benefit from. And people will learn from you when you look outward Instead of always focusing on how you are coming across. When I'm teaching yoga teachers how to teach new teachers, I talk about this a lot because they tend to come in, you know, like deer on ice, very nervous. I tell them to focus on what they are saying And stop focusing on how they are being received. So, thinking about being generous and flowing outward from your body and your heart rather than tightening in and trying to be perfect. Because no matter how perfect you try to be or think that you can control the outcome, you are still going to be judged by some people. Because, of course, we know that we're not going to be everybody's taste. And that is the skin that we do have to thicken. And it's so hard, y'all. It's hard because I think no matter how we present ourselves, we're all tender and we all want to belong and be loved and be cherished for all that we do. You know, we want people to not only love what we're up to, but we want to be seen for how hard we try and all the ways that we've been scarred in order to arrive here today. We want people to know the whole story. But here's the thing, they're never going to know your whole story. But if we can stay directed towards what is true and honest and aligned for us, and keep it in the camp of offering instead of too much self-examination. I do think it helps. You know, i I think about those those judgy girls sometimes <laughs> um, when I'm really wrapped up in worrying about what other people are thinking about me. And in this weird way, <clears throat> I know that day was in the stars to help me to learn fortitude and resilience in this lifetime. And I think it's funny that after all that, I chose a career where I would have to speak in front of people regularly (laughs) and put myself in the frame of judgment and vulnerability all the damn time. But I'm also grateful to continue to work on that because that is the work, right? To let the offering itself rise high above the judgment process and to just do our best You know, we do our best, which is all we can do. And that's a lot. Um, I was also thinking about that a long time ago, weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Actually, it was years because I think it was probably in the first year of this podcast. I did a podcast called Finding Your Why. Finding Your Why will help. And it's all about sort of building a mission statement around what your truth is and who you are. And so, If you liked this um, podcast today, if this is hitting a note for you, and you want to think more about clarifying your groundedness and your truth, scroll back um, to the first year of Things That Will Help podcast and find the one called Finding Your Why, because I think that's relevant to this and would be a good sister episode to listen to. Okay. Okay. Much love, much, much love, especially to those of you who are feeling extra tender right now, wondering if your stuff is good. Be sweet to yourself. Be sweet to others because you never know the fullness of their story. Um, I want to especially bow to my patrons. A deep thank you to you. You are keeping our lights on at Things That Will Help podcast. Alex and I are so appreciative of you And if you would like to become a patron, we really would appreciate it if you are enjoying this podcast regularly and it's helping you. You can find out the information in the show notes. It's not a big ask every month and you do get a bonus episode every single week. Um, That's a practice episode, a body related episode too. Coincide with these stories. In addition to that, Matt Cooper, my husband, um, who's fantastic, does a um, playlist to coincide with each one of these episodes. It's it's sort of our art project that we do together. Um, so he does the music, and I do the stories. And so you can access things that will help profile on Spotify and listen to all those podcasts. He has one for every single one, and they're really eclectic and really special. So um, follow us there too. All right. Blessings. Thank you so much.